0: Chapter twenty five of the Seats of the Mighty by Gilbert Parker.
1: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For
2: more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I awoke with the dawn, and dressing, looked out of the window, seeing the brindled light spread over the battered roofs and ruins of the lower town. A bell was calling to prayers in the Jesuit college not far away and bugle-calls told of the stirring garrison. Soldiers and stragglers passed down the street nearby, and a few starved peasants crept about the cathedral with downcast eyes, eager for crumbs that a well-fed soldier might cast aside. Yet I knew that in the intendant's palace and among the officers of the army there was abundance, with revelry and dissipation. Presently I drew to the trap-door of my loft, and— raising it gently, came down the ladder to the little hallway, and softly opened the door of the little room where Le body lay. Candles were burning at his head and his feet, and two peasants sat dozing in chairs nearby. I could see Le face plainly in the flickering light—a rough, wholesome face it was, refined by death, yet unshaven and unkempt, too. Here was work for Vubo's shears and razor presently there was a footstep behind me and turning i saw in the half-light the widowed wife madame said i in a whisper i too weep with you i pray for as true an end for myself
0: he was of the true faith thanks the good god
2: she said sincerely she passed into the room and the two watchers after taking refreshment left the house Suddenly she hastened to the door, called one back, and, pointing to the body, whispered something. The peasant nodded and turned away. She came back into the room, stood looking at the face of the dead man for a moment, and bent over and kissed the crucifix clasped in the cold hands. Then she stepped about the room, moving a chair and sweeping up a speck of dust in a mechanical way. Presently, as if she again remembered me she asked me to enter the room then she bolted the outer door of the house i stood looking at the body of her husband and said were it not well to have Voubo the barber
0: i have sent for him and for Gabot,
2: she replied
0: gabord was Jean's good friend he is with general motgall the governor put him in prison because of the marriage of mademoiselle duvarny but Monsieur d'Hauterre set him free, and now he serves General Motkalm. I have worked in the cathedral,
2: continued the poor woman,
0: and I shall go to it this morning as I have always gone. There is a little unused closet in a gallery where you may hide, and still see all that happens. It is your last look at the lady, and I will give it to you, as you gave me to know of my Jeanne
2: my last look i asked eagerly
0: she goes into the nunnery to-morrow they say
2: was the reply
0: her marriage is to be set aside by the bishop to-day in the cathedral this is her last night to live as such as i but no she will be happier so
2: madame said i i am a heretic but i listened when your husband said mon grand-homme de Carvin, bonsoir.'" WAS THE CROSS LESS A CROSS BECAUSE A HERETIC PUT IT TO HIS LIPS? IS A MARRIAGE LESS A MARRIAGE BECAUSE A HERETIC IS THE HUSBAND? MADAME, YOU LOVED YOUR JEAN. IF HE WERE LIVING NOW, WHAT WOULD YOU DO TO KEEP HIM? THINK, MADAME, IS NOT LOVE MORE THAN ALL? SHE TURNED TO THE DEAD BODY.
0: MON PETIT JEAN,
2: SHE murmured, BUT MADE NO REPLY TO ME, AND FOR MANY MINUTES THE ROOM WAS SILENT. At last she turned and said,
0: "'You must come at once, for soon the priest will be at the church. "'A little later I will bring you some breakfast, "'and you must not stir from there till I come to fetch you, no.'
2: "'I wish to see Vubo,' said I. "'She thought a moment.'
0: "'I will try to fetch him to you, by and by,'
2: she said. She did not speak further, but finished the sentence by pointing to the body. Presently, hearing footsteps, she drew me into another little room.
0: "'It is the grandfather,' she said. "'He has forgotten you already, and he must not see you again.'
2: We saw the old man hobble into the room we had left, carrying in one arm Jean's coat and hat. He stood still, and nodded at the body and mumbled to himself. Then he went over and touched the hands and forehead, nodding wisely, after which he came to his armchair and— sitting down spread the coat over his knees put the cap on it and gossiped with himself
1: in elid our idle fancies all
2: return the mind's eye cradled by the open grave a moment later the woman passed from the rear of the house to the vestry door of the cathedral after a minute seeing no one near i followed came to the front door entered and passed up a side aisle towards the choir There was no one to be seen, but soon a woman came out of the vestry and beckoned to me nervously. I followed her quick movements, and was soon in a narrow stairway, coming, after fifty steps or so, to a sort of cloister, from which we went into a little cubiculum, or cell, with a wooden lattice door which opened on a small gallery. Through the lattices the nave amid choir could be viewed distinctly. Without a word the woman turned and left me and I sat down on a little stone bench and waited. I saw the acolytes come and go, and priests move back and forth before the altar. I smelt the grateful incense as it rose when Mass was said. I watched the people gather in little clusters at the different shrines, or seek the confessional, or kneel to receive the blessed sacrament. Many who came were familiar, among them Mademoiselle Lucie Lotbiniere. Lucy prayed long before a shrine of the Virgin, and, when she rose at last, her face bore signs of weeping. Also I noticed her suddenly start as she moved down the aisle, for a figure came forward from seclusion and touched her arm. As he half-turned I saw that it was Juste de Varney. The girl drew back from him, raising her hand as if in protest, and it struck me that her grief and her repulse of him had to do with putting Alix away into a nunnery. I sat hungry and thirsty for quite three hours, and then the church became empty, and only an old verger kept a seat by the door, half asleep, though the artillery of both armies was at work, and the air was laden with the smell of powder. Until this time our batteries had avoided firing on the churches. At last I heard footsteps near me in the dark stairway, and I felt for my pistols, for the feet were not those of Lebouc's wife." I waited anxiously, and was overjoyed to see Voubo enter my hiding-place, bearing some food. I greeted him warmly, but he made little demonstration. He was like one who, occupied with some great matter, passed through the usual affairs of life with a distant eye. Immediately he handed me a letter, saying, Monsieur, I give my word to
3: hand you this. In a day or a year— as i am able i get your message to me this morning and then i come to care for jeanne labrouc and so i find you here and i give the letter it come to me last night the letter
2: was from alix i opened it with haste and in the dim light read
4: my beloved husband oh was there no power in earth or heaven to bring me to your arms today?" tomorrow they come to see my marriage annulled by the church and every one will say it is annulled every one but me i in god's name will say no though it break my heart to oppose myself to them all why did my brother come back he has been hard oh robert he has been hard upon me and yet i was ever kind to him my father too he listens to the church and though he likes not monsieur Dautaire, he works for him in a hundred ways without seeing it. I, alas, see it too well, and my brasier is as wax in monsieur's hands. Just loves Lucie Lottepinier. That should make him kind. She, sweet friend, does not desert me, but is kept from me. She says she will not yield to Jus suit until he yields to me. If, oh, if Madame Jamon had not gone to Muriel, as I was writing the foregoing sentence, Fasia asked to see me, and we have had a talk. Ah, a most bitter talk. Alix, said he,
1: this is our last evening together, and I would have it peaceful.
4: Myphazia, said I, it is not my will that this evening be our last, and for peace I long for it with all my heart. He frowned and answered,
1: You have brought me trouble and sorrow mother of god was it not possible for you to be as your sister georgette i gave her less love yet she honours me more
4: she honours you my Fasia, by a sweet good life and by marriage into an honourable family and at your word she gives her hand to monsieur auguste de la durant she marries to your pleasure therefore she has peace and your love i marry a man of my own choosing a bitterly wronged gentleman and you treat me as some wicked thing is that like a father who loves his child
1: the wronged gentleman as you call him invaded that which is the pride of every honest gentleman
4: he said and what is that asked i quietly though i felt the blood beating at my temples
1: my family honour the good name and virtue of my daughter
4: I got to my feet, and looked my father in the eyes, with an anger and a coldness that hurts me now when I think of it, and I said, "'I will not let you speak so to me. Friendless though I be, you shall not. You have the power to oppress me, but you shall not slander me to my face. Cannot you leave insults to my enemies?'
1: "'I will never leave you to the insults of this mock marriage,'
4: answered he, angrily also
1: two days hence i take command of five thousand burghers and your brother zeust serves with general there is to be last fighting soon between us and the english i do not doubt of the result but i may fall and your brother also and should the english win i will not leave you to him you call your husband Therefore, you shall be kept safe where no alien hands may reach you the church will hold you close
4: i calmed myself again while listening to him and i asked is there no other way he shook his head is there no monsieur doterre said i he has a king's blood in his veins he looked sharply at me
1: you are mocking me
4: he replied
1: no no that is no way either monsieur doltaire must never mate with daughter of mine i will take care of that the church is a perfect if gentle jailer
4: i could bear it no longer i knelt to him i begged him to have pity on me i pleaded with him i recalled the days when as a child i sat upon his knee and listened to the wonderful tales he told i begged him by the memory of all the years when he and i were such true friends to be kind to me now to be merciful even though he thought i had done wrong to be merciful i asked him to remember that i was a motherless girl and that if i had missed the way to happiness he ought not to make my path bitter to the end i begged him to give me back his love and confidence and if i must for evermore be parted from you to let me be with him now, to put me away into a convent. Oh, how my heart leaped when I saw his face soften.
1: Well, well, he said, if I live, you shall be taken from the convent. But for the present, till this fighting is over, it is the only safe place. There, too, you shall be safe from Monsieur Doltaire.
4: It was poor comfort. But should you be killed, "'And the English take Quebec,' said I.
1: "'When I am dead,' he answered. "'When I am dead, then there is your brother.'
4: "'And if he speaks for Monsieur Dautier,' asked I.
1: "'There is the Church, and God, always,'
4: he answered. "'And my own husband, the man who saved your life, my father, I urged gently.' and when he would have spoken, I threw myself into his arms, the first time in such long, long weeks, and, stopping his lips with my fingers, burst into tears on his breast. I think much of his anger against me passed, yet before he left he said he could not now prevent the annulment of the marriage, even if he would, for other powers were at work. Which powers I suppose to be the governor, for certain reasons of enmity to my fasia and me. Alas, how changed he is, the vain old man! and M. Doltaire, whose ends I knew so well. So they will unwed us to-morrow, Robert. But be sure that I shall never be unwed in my own eyes, and that I will wait till I die, hoping you will come and take me. Oh, Robert, my husband, take me home. If I had one hundred men, I would fight my way out of this city, and to you. But, dear, I have none, not even Gabo, who is not let come near me there is but Vubo. Yet he will bear you this, if it be possible, for he comes to-night to adorn my fashionable brother. The poor Matilda I have not seen of late. She has vanished. When they began to keep me close, and carried me off at last into the country, where we were captured by the English, I could not see her, and my heart aches for her. God bless you, Robert, and farewell. How we shall smile when all this misery is done! Oh, say we shall!" Say we shall smile, and all this misery cease. Will you not take me home? Do you still love thy wife, thy Alix?
2: I bade Vubo come to me at the little house behind the church that night at ten o'clock, and by then I should have arranged some plan of action. I knew not whether to trust Gabor or no. I was sorry now that I had not tried to bring Clark with me. He was fearless, and he knew the town well. BUT HE LACKED DISCRETION, AND THAT WAS VITAL. TWO HOURS OF WAITING, THEN CAME A SCENE WHICH IS BURNED INTO MY BRAIN. I LOOKED DOWN UPON A MASS OF PEOPLE, SOLDIERS, COURIERS OF THE WOODS, BEGGARS, PRIESTS, CAMP FOLLOWERS, AND ANXIOUS GENTLEFOLK, COME FROM SECLUSION, OR HIDING, OR VIGILS OF WAR, TO SEE A HOST OF POWERS TORTURE A YOUNG GIRL WHO BY SUFFERING HAD BEEN MADE A WOMAN LONG BEFORE HER TIME. Out in the streets was the tramping of armed men, together with the call of bugles and the sharp rattle of drums. Presently I heard the hoofs of many horses, and soon afterwards there entered the door, and way was made for him up the nave, the Marquis de Vaudreuil and his suite, with the Chevalier de la Durante, the Intendant, and, to my indignation, Juste de Varney. They had no sooner taken their places than, from a little side-door near the vestry, there entered the Signero de Varney and Alix, who, coming down slowly, took places very near the chancel steps. The Signero was pale and stern, and carried himself with great dignity. His glance never shifted from the choir, where the priests slowly entered and took their places, the aged and feeble bishop going faltering to his throne. Alix's face was pale and sorrowful, and yet, it had a dignity and self-reliance that gave it a kind of grandeur. A buzz passed through the building. Yet I noted too, with gladness, that there were tears on many faces. A figure stole in beside Alix. It was Mademoiselle Lotbiniere, who immediately was followed by her mother. I leaned forward, perfectly hidden, and listened to the sing-song voices of the priests. THE MUSICAL NOTE OF THE RESPONSES, HEARD THE Curier LIAISON, THE CLANGING OF THE BELFRY BELL AS THE HOST WAS RAISED BY THE TREMBLING BISHOP. THE SILENCE WHICH FOLLOWED THE MOURNFUL VOLUNTARY PLAYED BY THE ORGAN WAS MOST PAINFUL TO ME. AT THAT MOMENT A FIGURE STEPPED FROM BEHIND A PILLAR, AND GAVE ALIX A DEEP, SCRUTINIZING LOOK. IT WAS Doltaire. HE WAS GRAVER THAN I HAD EVER SEEN HIM, and was dressed scrupulously in black, with a little white lace showing at the wrists and neck. A handsomer figure it would be hard to see, and I hated him for it, and wondered what new devilry was in his mind. He seemed to sweep the church with a glance. Nothing could have escaped that swift, searching look. His eyes were even raised to where I was, so that I involuntarily drew back, though I knew he could not see me. I was arrested suddenly by a curious, disdainful, even sneering smile, which played upon his face as he looked at the Vaudreuil and Bigot. There was in it more scorn than malice, more triumph than active hatred. All at once, I remembered what he had said to me the day before, that he had commissioned from the king through La Pompadour to take over the reins of government from the two confederates and send them to France to answer the charges made against them at last the bishop came forward and read from a paper as follows
3: forasmuch as as a well-beloved child of our holy church mademoiselle alix duverney of the parish of beauport and of this cathedral parish in this province of new france forgetting her manifest duty and our sacred teaching did illegally and in sinful error make feigned contract of marriage with one robert moray captain in a virginian regiment a heretic a spy and an enemy to our country and forasmuch as this was done in violence of all nice habit and commendable obedience to mother church and our national uses, we do hereby declare and make void this alliance until such time as the Holy Father at Rome shall finally approve our action and proclaiming and it is enjoined upon mademoiselle alix duverney on peril of her soul's salvation to obey us in this matter and neither by word or deed or thought have commerce more with this notorious and evil heretic and foe of our church and of our country it is also the plain duty of the faithful children of our holy church to regard this captain moret with a pious hatred and to destroy him without pity and any good cunning or enticement which should lure him to the punishment he so much deserves shall be approved furthermore mademoiselle alixe duverney shall until such times as there shall be peace in this land and the molesting english are driven back with slaughter and for all time if the heart of our sister incline to penitence and love of christ be confined within the convent of the Ursuline, and cared for with great tenderness
2: he left off reading and began to address himself to elix directly but she rose in her place and while surprise and awe seized the congregation she said
4: monseigneur i must needs at my father's bidding hear the annulment of my marriage but i will not hear this public exhortation i am but a poor girl unlearned in the law and i must needs submit to your power For i have no one here to speak for me but my soul and my conscience i carry to my saviour and i have no fear to answer him i am sorry that i have offended against my people and my country and holy church but i repent not that i love and hold to my husband you must do with me as you will but in this i shall never willingly yield
2: she turned to her father and all the people breathed hard for it passed their understanding and seemed most scandalous that a girl could thus defy the church, and answer the bishop in his own cathedral. Her father rose, and then I saw her sway with faintness. I know not what might have occurred, for the bishop stood with hand upraised and great indignation in his face, about to speak, when out of the desultory firing from our batteries there came a shell, which burst even at the cathedral entrance, tore away a portion of the wall, and killed and wounded a number of people. Then followed a panic which the priests in vain tried to quell. The people swarmed into the choir and through the vestry. I saw Doltaire with Juste de Varney spring swiftly to the side of Alix, and, with her father, put her and Mademoiselle Lotbiniere into the pulpit, forming a ring round it, and preventing the crowd from trampling on them, as, suddenly gone mad, they swarmed past. The governor, the intendant, and the Chevalier de La Durante did as much also for Madame Lottepinier, and as soon as the crush had in a little subsided, a number of soldiers cleared the way, and I saw my wife led from the church. I longed to leap down there among them and claim her, but that thought was madness, for I should have been food for worms in a trice. So I kept my place.
0: End of chapter 25